lecture uh, this morning is named Jesse Rice, and he works along with Greg Milliken and a few other people in our youth department, uh, working with our youth. I've known Jesse for, I don't know, over 10 years, 11 years, and he's a great speaker. He has spoken at all kinds of different conferences. He's worked in a couple of different churches. He is also the author of a book called The Church of Facebook, which is about how social media is affecting our understanding of community. And he's an awesome preacher. We're lucky to have him here this morning. Please welcome Jesse Rice. Well, thank you. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Normally, I'd be setting up for junior high right now, so this is way better. This is, this is a lot more fun. It's good to be with you, and it's, it's already the week after Easter, and that's a little hard to believe. It's kind of like it's come and it's gone already. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but it's easy to kind of go through the celebration and celebrate the power, the immense life-changing power of the empty tomb, and then just kind of move on to the next thing, the next deadline, the next kind of family gathering, the next holiday, which, by the way, is Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I haven't got all my Cinco de Mayo shopping done yet, so I hope that you guys are a little more ahead of me. What do we do with Easter now that Easter is over? Because ultimately, Easter is about relationships. Jesus died and rose again so that we can love God and love each other. Nowhere is the power of the empty tomb so visible as when we love each other, which is why Jesus is so adamant about it. So this morning, the first Sunday after Easter, we're going to look at just that, how to love each other better. And I've titled this message, uh, How to Love the Hard to Love, because there's not a single one of us that's necessarily easy to love, at least not all the time. If you're not believing me, you can ask your spouse and see how that goes. <laughs> In fact, just so we're all clear about this, maybe we should turn to each other and just say, you are hard to love. No, you don't have to. <laughs> don't do that. Some of you are like, I was ready. <laughs> I want to. We're all hard to love, and we all find it hard to love others. But fortunately, Jesus does not leave us to our own devices. In fact, he gives us a provocative little snapshot of what it could look like to love each other better. And this little story from John chapter 4, and if you're new to the Bible, uh, John is about three-quarters of the way toward the back, uh, and this story is often known as Jesus speaking with the woman at the well. The story goes like this. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Let's pause right there. I want to give a little context to help us get into this story a bit more. First, Jesus was a Jew. And Jews completely avoided Samaria, if at all possible. The Samaritans were considered unclean, despicable people. Jews wanted nothing to do with them. And they would often travel way around Samaria, adding significant time to their journey just to avoid the Samaritans. But Jesus intends to go directly to the middle of it. Second, Jesus was a man. And in that culture at that time, men did not usually speak publicly with women. That kind of conversation was usually saved for the privacy of home, if at all. But here's Jesus striking up a conversation with a woman right where everybody can see them. Well, his disciples are off buying food at Trader Joe's. 
because you know that's where the Messiah would shop. A lot of Whole Foods shoppers in here, apparently. That's fine. Tough crowd. But third and most scandalous of all, this was not just any woman, was it? This was a woman with a reputation. She had a reputation for getting around. She often ended up on those Samaritan tabloid headlines. This woman is a lot like kind of Lindsay Lohan, Kim Kardashian, and the entire cast of Jersey Shore combined. <laughs> if you know who I'm talking about, you're watching too much TV. <laughs> and if you don't know who I'm talking about, you're not watching enough TV. But the point is, there was a reason that this woman came midday during the scorching heat to draw water, and it was because she was ashamed of that reputation. She did not want to be seen by her neighbors. She was afraid of running into anyone. But Jesus, who knows all about her reputation, who has read the headlines, intends to meet with her right in the middle of her routine, right where she's at, right in the middle of her shame, her pain. So we find that the first way in this story that will help us love each other better is this thing called Jesus' intentionality. Intentionality. Jesus is intentional about everything he does, everything he says. And this story is a perfect example of that. Jesus does not waste words or actions. What do I mean by intentional? All, all that means is simply on-purpose living. It means taking aim at a target, intent on hitting the bullseye. Here's just a couple of thoughts about way we could, ways we could do that in our relationships to love each other better. First, in order to do that, we're going to have to rearrange our schedules. Uh-oh. We all have a finite amount of time, don't we? And so we're going to have to rearrange our schedules in order to make some of that time for loving each other. This is not news to you. I'm sure that you don't have enough time. In fact, you probably have more on your plate right now than you can handle emotionally, financially, relationally. Maybe you're feeling the weight of that this morning. But isn't it funny kind of how we sort of almost brag about how busy we are? Like, have you ever been in those conversations where it's almost like one person is trying to top the other with how busy life is, how crazy life is? Often it has to do kind of with the kids' schedules, what they're up to. Well, life is a little good, but crazy. I mean, you know, that um, Timmy's got soccer practice every night, and then he has three games every weekend, and he's captain of the debate team. And then Kimmy, of course, well, she's got uh, piano, cello, and harmonica lessons, and uh, she's training for a marathon. But then the other person comes back with like, oh, I know what you mean. David has kindergarten in the morning, but then he has lacrosse, badminton, and bull riding lessons in the afternoon. <laughs> and he's getting scuba certified. And of course, Julie has cooking lessons, astronaut lessons, and she commutes to Egypt once a month for her mummification classes. <laughs> Ridiculous, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. We boast about being busy as though it somehow validates who we are. But often it's just kind of a way to prop up our egos a little bit. Isn't that? But Jesus did not intend for our value to be tied to our to-do lists. Our to-do lists are very important, but that's not where our value is meant to be rooted in. Jesus intends for us to love each other, and we're going to have to rearrange our schedules if we're going to do that. And a second thought on how we could love each other better with this, we're going to have to intentionally practice being present to one another, fully present to one another in the here and the now. Have you ever had that experience of uh, you're kind of sharing somebody and sharing with somebody in conversation and maybe you're kind of deep into something and all of a sudden you kind of get this look from them and they're like, pull out the cell phone and start texting. Dude, I was just telling you about my dog who died. What are you doing? This is, it's amazing that we kind of do that to each other. Have you, have you ever done that to somebody? 
Are you doing that right now? <laughs> I, I kind of suspect a few of you might be. Um, when we consistently kind of engage with one another, when half of our mind is somewhere else, we sort of disrespect that person in front of us. We're not really loving them well when we do that. And so we're going to have to give each other this gift of our full attention. I think it's one of the best gifts we could give to each other, our full attention. Jesus honored the woman at the well by sitting with her, by giving, him, giving her his full attention, by listening to her, by being present with her. And in doing so, he showed us what that life-changing love can look like. It can look like getting outside of our little bubbles, our little, all the stuff that feels so urgent to us, and tuning in to the wants and the needs of others. It looks like moving beyond our own stuff and taking note of other people's stuff. It looks like taking aim and being intentional with our relationships. Intentionality, kind of this first way we can learn to love each other better. But there's a second way. This little story from John chapter 4 helps us understand how to love each other better. Halfway through the conversation that Jesus is having with this woman, the woman starts to pick up on what he's offering, and, and she becomes very interested. He talks about this living water, and she starts to go, yeah, actually, that sounds, that sounds like what I've been looking for. She wants it. So how does Jesus respond to her? Let me just read it for you. It starts in verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Uh-oh. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, I don't think Jesus was as snarky as all that, okay? I think he was a bit more mellow, but why does he bring this up? Does he bring this up to shame her, to embarrass her? I don't think so. I think he brings this up because he wants to relate to her just as she is not as she should be, just as she is. Which brings us to the second way we can love each other better, which is through authenticity. Authenticity. Uh, it's a little bit of a buzzword around the church. All it means is uh, congruence. It means being the same on the inside as, as what's on the outside. And that's tough. That's really tough because our tendency is to kind of create a mask that we can kind of hide behind. It, it shows the best of who we are, the best of our stuff, and we hide those things, we hide behind those things in our relationships with one another because we're afraid of what people would think if they really knew us. For me, the mask that I grabbed on to early in life was sort of like the mask of the Pharisees of the Bible. These guys had a reputation as kind of rule keepers, rule enforcers. That was me, rule keeper, rule enforcer. Often I made up my own rules. For example, when I was in the sixth grade, break dancing was all the rage. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the kind of dancing where people are kind of spinning, twisting on their head, doing all this kind of stuff. And I would show you right now, but we don't have enough time because <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Uh, but breakdancing was all the rage. And somehow it, I got it in my mind, and this was not from my family or anything like that. Uh, I, did not, I got it in my mind that breakdancing was, was sinful. And so being the good little Pharisee that I was, I would go out around the playground during recess and I would walk up to my friends who were kind of practicing their moves, and I would go up to them, and I would tell them in no uncertain terms that if they didn't stop breakdancing, they were going to hell. Twelve years old. <laughs> but it gets worse because our masks start to form even earlier in life, don't they? And that was true for me. So in kindergarten, at the time, there was this rock band called Kiss, kind of with all the black and white sort of clown makeup, right? They're still ahead, somehow being artificially sustained. I don't know how they're doing that. But KISS, K-I-S-S, -S, I was told that this band 
kiss stood for knights in Satan's service. Ooh. Well, this five-year-old Pharisee wasn't having any of that. So I would go around the playground during recess, and I would go up to my friends and ask them if they liked the rock band kiss, and if they said yes, I said they were probably going to hell. Five years old. By the way, now if you're like a breakdancing kiss fan, I don't have anything against you. I've sort of grown out of that stage. I just want to let you know. But isn't it interesting? The mask I picked up was that mask of the Pharisee, trying to look good on the outside because I was afraid of what people would think of me if they saw the inside. I still very much struggle with that. What's your mask? Is it the influence you have, the connections you have, the kind of car you drive, your zip code, your GPA, a certain title, a certain role? We've all got masks. We've all got them. And in order to love each other better, we're going to have to learn to take off those masks and relate to each other just exactly as we are. How do we do that? I think by owning and dealing with our stuff. We've all got stuff, don't we? We've all got issues. And even though we are certainly more than our issues, if we don't deal with our issues, we're we're never going to be able to take off those masks and relate to each other intimately. We're never going to love each other better if we don't do that. This has been true for me. One day I sat down with a mentor, a friend of mine, over coffee, and I started kind of spilling all this pain that was surfacing in my life. Pain because of things I had done, pain because of things that had been done to me, things that just happened as life does. I had moved lots of different times and had to start over and lose friends and make new friends. My mom had been sick for a long time and then passed away. I broke off an engagement to be married eight weeks before the wedding. Ouch. But got all the deposit money back on the reception hall? Yes. <laughs> and so, friends, the Lord provides. That's the lesson right there. <laughs> Take that to the bank. Um, but as I poured out my heart to this trusted friend, uh, he just looked me right in the eye, and he said very tenderly, Jesse, it is time to be a good steward of your pain. It's time to be a good steward of your pain. By which he meant it was time for me to identify and deal with and let go of the pain that I experienced, I had experienced in life, so I could love better and be loved like never before. So that's what I did. I tried to become a good steward of my pain. I found a therapist and started doing some good inner healing work that way. I began to open up more to my small group and ask for help to be honest about my need. It doesn't always feel good to be needy, does it? But it's important that we're honest about it. I began to let go of these painful things that had taken up so much space in my heart. And as I did, I began to find this increasing sense of, or this increasing capacity for friendship. Kind of this increasing sense of purpose, identity, direction in my life. And most of all, kind of this deepening sense of Jesus' love for me. This morning, May 1st, 2011, it is time to be a good steward of your pain. It's time to be a good steward of your pain. It's time to name, to own, and to let go of the things that hinder you from loving and from being loved. What are some of the practical things we could do this week to make a start? Could be as simple as coffee with a friend. Could be an act of forgiveness. However it looks for you, as we become good stewards of our pain, though, something profound begins to happen. Something profound begins to break through. Our healing becomes healing for others. 
Our increasing freedom becomes increasing freedom for those around us. We start to love each other better, and that starts to change everything about our environment. And this parallels exactly what we find at the end of this little story in John 4. Look with me at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What was the woman's testimony? He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. This woman, who was so ashamed of everything that she did that she tried everything she could to avoid her neighbors, now runs and tracks down her neighbors and tells them this news. Come see this man. He told me everything I ever did. This woman was so ashamed, and yet this shame has now been transformed into a declaration of freedom. And it was a declaration that changed her entire neighborhood. The Samaritans believed because of her story, he told me everything I ever did. So as we own our stuff, as we become good stewards of our pain, that authenticity grows, and we are set free to love each other. And that changes everything. Let me close with this. You and I were made to love and to be loved. And we know how hard that actually is to do. You might have had that experience this morning before church. And I hope that this information has been helpful to you, but I honestly am not uh, convinced that more information is what we need. We've got so many good books on this subject, lots of great talks, all that kind of stuff. It's good stuff, but I wonder if more information is what we need. I wonder if rather than more information, what we instead need is this encounter with Jesus like this woman had at the well. She ran into the risen Savior right at the well right in the middle of her routine, right in the middle of her shame. We desperately need the same experience of running into Jesus in the middle of all our attempts to hide if we're ever going to love each other better. There's all kinds of ways we can encounter Jesus, of course, through prayer, through Bible reading and study, through small groups, through some preaching, through serving those in need especially. But this morning, we're going to intentionally encounter Jesus by celebrating communion together, this opportunity to pray, to reflect, to surrender, to receive this living water that Jesus has for you just as you are, just as you are. I believe that God is in this room, in this room, and if you're watching on podcasts, I believe that God is in the room with you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to speak this kind of healing into you, to set you free to love and be loved all the more. So we're going to take a few moments to do that now as we prepare. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are such thirsty people. And we need this living water that you offer us. We need this firsthand experience of your love. So Jesus, help us to pursue you and your kingdom with whole hearts so that we may find purpose and healing and rest. And so that we may love each other better. Amen.